There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. From the Intercontinental Hotel in Dubai Festival City. This is Talking of Books. Live at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Hear from the world's greatest writers. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello, welcome back to Talking of Books. Well, we are very excited because we're live from the lobby of the Intercontinental Event Centre for the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. It's in its 12th year and the panels are even more exciting. I'm Annabelle, my co-host on the show today is the lovely children's author Rachel Hamilton and we are really excited because we wanted to meet our next guest for quite some time, (laughs) I believe. So I'm going to do an introduction for you. So an 11-year-old slave finds himself pursuing a promise of freedom from the scorching cane fields of 19th century Barbados to lands he could never have dreamt of. Inspired by a true story, Washington Black, a man booker finalist, is the extraordinary tale of a world destroyed and made whole again. And the author, Essie Adujan, is with us in our makeshift studio. <laughs> I'm Welcome delighted to, the show. to be here. Thank, Thank you. you so much. You've had um, both your events uh, already. You had a panel this morning, uh, Relationships Under Strain with Claire McIntosh and Tyari Jones, the author of An American Marriage. There are a lot of relationships under strain in, in this book, in Washington Black. And I just, I wondered, I wanted to start with where these characters um, came from. Not a particularly original question, but we, we really do want to know what, what inspired the story. Yeah, so um, I'd originally thought I was writing a novel about the Tichborne claimant affair, which was um, a huge cold celeb in its day, but it's been largely forgotten. Um, and basically it was a series of criminal trials that ran from the 1860s right up until almost the 1890s in England. And they centered around the disappearance of um, a 25-year-old aristocrat called uh, Roger Tichborne, who was missing at sea and presumed dead. And um, there was an imposter in Australia who claimed to be him and wanted to come and um, assume his inheritance and, and essentially take over the family estates. Uh, but one of the main witnesses for the defense in those trials was a man called Andrew Bogle. And he was uh, an 11-year-old field slave uh, in Jamaica uh, who was stolen off a plantation by Sir Edward Tichborne uh, from the, the, the Tichborne Manor. And Sir Edward brought him uh, back to England uh, as his first as his page boy, and then uh, Bogle became a ballet, and he lived with the family, and he travelled all throughout Europe. And uh, so I thought I would tell the Tichborne claimant story through that lens, but I, I quickly discovered that I was much more interested in the psychology of a person uh, like Andrew Bogle, uh, who was taken out of uh, some very dire circumstances and would have had a very um, prescribed idea of what his life was and, and what it could be. Uh, for him to be taken out of that and then transported into just a whole new life, I thought that's my material. What I particularly love in your story is that the 11-year-old boy who was previously a slave, he's not just a victim, he's not just rescued. What you uncover is that he's got these incredible talents Mm -hmm. and it makes you think about how his life could have been and how these talents could have gone entirely undiscovered. Was that something that was important for you to get across? Very, very important. Um, I have a friend who, when she sort of read an earlier draft of the novel, um, made the comment that, and I thought it was very apt, that when we you know, talk about slavery, we talk about usually the loss of black bodies. Um, uh, but you know, more rarely do we talk about the loss of, of black genius and, and black talent yeah. and, and um, 
And so that was something that I very much wanted to explore. Also, all of your characters are very rounded. And I, I like the fact that you, I, I presume that you tried very hard not to make Titch himself, who has come along and has taken this boy out of the situation, not to make him too heroic, because he certainly mm. isn't. And is that also something that you wanted to make sure that, that he wasn't presented as some sort of saviour figure? Yeah, I, I think it would have been very distasteful to write this novel in, a, in, in having Titch be sort of the white saviour. That, that's not something that really appealed to me or felt very authentic. And uh, in my research, I came across a story of um, I was reading Eric Foner's The Underground Railroad, which is obviously about the under, Underground Railroad in, in uh, America. And he had, he described a scene in which, um, this was a non-fiction book, but he described a, a scene in which there was a meeting um, at the House of Friends with the Quakers, uh, who were obviously great abolitionists. And they were discussing the plight of, of the black man and slavery and, and what they could do to help. And there were three slaves in attendance, three runaway slaves, uh, but they were made to sit apart from the Quakers and they were never consulted uh, for their um, opinions on anything, um, or, you know, to discuss their experience. And I thought that kind of strange dichotomy between feeling this great moral uh, rage, uh, but also not really connecting it to the the human, the human, and, and the you know the the pain of, of these people's lives. You know, I really wanted to for Titch to embody that and, yeah. and to explore that within that character. Speaking of. Um humanity and pain I, you had a really great question about um, kind of how brutality was accepted on the plantation oh, yeah we were talking previously and I was saying what's so interesting in your book is you see that some people who live there they just accept it as as normal the way these slaves are treated and then you have people coming into the plantation who demonstrate the normal shock and horror that anyone should feel and yes. I wondered if it was something that you'd found in research or something that you thought about about what it takes for someone to become so blasé that it just seems so normal yeah so desensitized yeah yeah actually there was a very specific story in like i can't remember which research book it was but it really stayed with me where somebody was writing their account of arriving at a friend's plantation and maybe not really thinking about uh, what it would look like to you know to actually visit one of these places and they sat down to dinner and you know, everybody began eating, but then they could hear these torturous screams out the window, and you know, they were very shocked and stopped eating. But the family who had resided at the plantation just kept eating and, and speaking, you know, of, of the weather and it was, and uh, so you do, you know, I, I think the human capacity to become inured to other people's pain is, is very real and it's something we have to guard against. I thought, yeah, I, I thought it said a lot about what could happen today. I think mm. that's why it was something that really, you know, when you're reading and you stop for a moment and you think, wow, this is so well done. And it was something, yeah, that I thought, is there a lesson, were you trying to kind of communicate, uh, not necessarily a lesson, but, you know, say something about what happens today? Yeah, I think that's something, obviously, it's, it's very much still with us. If you, know, you think about uh, when I was writing the book, uh, we were sort of in the, it's like the height of the humanitarian crisis with Syrian refugees, yes. uh, you know, traveling through Europe or, or trying to reach Europe. And, and yeah, that was very much on my mind uh, at the forefront. Um, one thing that really struck me, we talked earlier about um, uh, his drawings. And I, I wanted to talk about the moment where he starts reading for the first time. And th there's a beautiful passage where kind of like the, the dark squiggles start to kind of take on real shape 
to him and real meaning. And I just wondered from from like your um, early years and also experiences with books, what was kind of the first book that opened a new world for you? Huh, I like that question. Uh, it's so hard to remember uh, back to um, you know there being sort of that initial book that yeah. gave you that that shock. But there were so many. I, I was a child who read so much. It was my entire life. I read from sun up to sundown. Um, I think things like Harriet the Spy. I remember that <laughs> yeah, one. I love Harriet, Harriet the Spy. Yes, just because you know I, I really felt like um, you know I felt like her. I felt like I was a, an observer, always at, always standing kind of outside of things and wanting to write them down and and to really um, I guess to really it, I, she was kind of a journalist I guess from yeah. if you look at it from that perspective and I, and I really wanted to be like that. Uh, what else? Um, I see you have Roald Dahl. <laughs> yeah, we've he been talking uh, about the Roald Dahl books. Yeah, so I adored his novels as a child. And I, I think he really gets at that feeling that children can have, that the adult world is, um, feels very cruel. Uh, and you don't feel as though you maybe always understand your place in it. And, and you know, I think it's something like Matilda, where she's very solitary, and you know, her parents Another are awful. Another bookworm. I can see the link. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, I, yeah, I did maybe respond uh, very deeply to these stories of, of usually young women who were sort of on the margins and yeah, bookworms, and maybe it's interesting, isn't it? How because everybody says that all books are semi-autobiographical, and the fact that you have you have Wash become this creative and discover his creativity. Mm. And so that, yeah, it's interesting how little things... And, and how you give him agency through his, uh, his adventures and, and, and travels as well. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk, because it's just a marvellous piece of historical uh, writing as well, and also the inventions that you bring in, so yes. like the cloud cutter and then the aquarium and, and all of this. I just wonder how much research went into this and like what was the writing process actually like? Yeah, it was a lot of research. So uh, for this and for Half Blood Blues, which was my last novel, I started researching like a year before I started writing. Um, you know, it was just a process of just reading and reading and reading. And actually, I had to force myself to start writing because I could have continued this process indefinitely. Uh, but I, I had a deadline, so I had to. <laughs> so I had to take great, aren't they? <laughs> they must be something that interests you as well in historical discoveries. If you can dedicate that much time to investigate. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I don't know what it is. There's just something so, um, <laughs> something so fascinating to me about how things were done in the past. Um, and the research is something that really carries you through the writing of a novel, I think. Uh, there are times when you're writing a book that you just want to stop and, you know, or you get mired in the middle of the book. You know, people refer to the middle muddle. The sticky uh, just middle, because yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but when you're researching, you're discovering new things and you want to write about them. So this is part of the process of what helps me at least get to the end of a novel. And I think why the book is so beautiful is because you have got all that. You have that, but you have such rich characters and the relationship, I think, between Wash and Titch and then also everyone else who Wash interacts with. And I just wondered, there's this beautiful bit where kind of Titch suggests that Wash goes and he goes with on the Underground Railway. And he, the thought, this thing about, I think you said something about the sav it was so savage, the idea of being separated from this man who in, in theory is almost his slave owner at certain times. And I just wondered... What, what you'd put into creating that relationship to make it work so well? Yeah, well, it's a complicated relationship. It's, um, it's one of 
I guess eventually very like-minded people, uh, two men who are very deeply interested in, in science and who um, you know, share a lot of the same interests. Uh, but it's a relationship of unequals, really. I mean, Boach is a very young slave boy and obviously uh, Christopher Wilde is from, uh, he's you know, the scion of the, the family who owns him. Uh, and even though uh, they attempt to have a kind of uh, friendship, it's really something in which, um, you know, there will never be like a true equality because the circumstances of, of their, their birth and, and obviously when they're existing in history. Uh, and, uh, you know, but there's still that kinship. Like Washington still feels very, very deeply um, attached to him and, and grateful to him. Um, but I think he, he really grapples with this feeling in the end that he, he was never really seen as, some, as truly, fully human by this man. And that's devastating to him because this man was, you know, at times like family Everything uh, to him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're unfortunately going to have to leave it there, though we could talk to you all day. <laughs> I have yeah, I know, you have so many questions. <laughs> Um, but it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Talking of Books and I hope you have a lovely rest of the day. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. You're listening to Talking of Books. Live at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. Hear from the world's greatest writers. On Dubai Eye 103.8. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.